Father, it seems so counterintuitive that the way to strength is admitting that we are weak, but that's exactly what we do today. You said in your word, the apostle Paul, who was wrestling with his own weakness, you said that your grace was sufficient for him and that your power is made perfect, perfect in weakness. Father, today we boldly and outwardly declare our dependence on you. And I thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice, regardless of the walk of life that we're in, regardless of the specific life that you've called us to, we each declare our need. To the parents out here who are struggling and are in a difficult season with their children, may they know that your grace is sufficient for them and that your power is made perfect in their weakness. For those out here who are having a hard time at work or having a hard time in a difficult relationship or a broken friendship or wrestling with even their relationship status, help them to know that you are willing to receive our vulnerability and give us your strength. Father, will you help us today? Will you help us to hear your word today and to respond to it and to understand deep in our souls that you you care for us dearly. If you care for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, how much more value are we than they? Father, I pray that's not just something that we believe in our heads, but something that seeps down deep in our souls and that we feel that. We need you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen, amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. It's good to see you guys today. Y'all, we're going to be in John chapter 19. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and head there. John chapter 19. If you're new today, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, the location pastor here at Arlington. And it's good to see your faces uh, tonight. It's good to be with you um, here. So a couple of quick announcements. First, uh, we are excited uh, about the progress that uh, is being made on our location back in Arlington. So if you're new, you may wonder, hey, how are you to Arlington location, but you meet uh, at Tyson's? Well, right now, this is a gathering, yes, of NBC Arlington, but we're waiting for a new location to be built, and once that happens, we'll move back into the Arlington area. But just a brief update about our location. The walls are being framed. Uh, progress is being made, and we are excited about what all this means in the days ahead. Hopefully, we will be in, and hopefully late July, early August, continue to pray for that. But along with giving updates, um, I do want to be clear uh, about something. I want to use this opportunity to teach a bit. We're excited about a new building, but listen, we are not more of a church because we have a new building. We're not more of a church because we have a new building. Think about this. The Church of Jesus Christ, when it has gathered over the last 2,000 years, it has gathered in some weird places. It's gathered in the catacombs. It's gathered outside. It's gathered in ornate buildings. We don't need the building to be a church. We don't need a building to be a church. Listen to me. When Jesus said that he would build his church, he did not grab a hard hat. He grabbed people with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gathered people together, and he made them his church. And I do want to do a little teaching here. When you look at the church in the New Testament, we see the church mentioned in two senses. First, the church scatters. What do I mean by that? The church scatters throughout the city, wherever we're found, wherever Christians are found, we should be found spreading the care and the love and the message of Jesus Christ. So you see this in the, Old in the New Testament church, people go out, they're sharing the gospel, they're meeting needs, 
the church gathers and uh, scatters, and there is a sense in wherever Christians are, there the church is. But there's also a sense in where the church gathers together as God's people. So when you look at the New Testament, you see how the church gathers. We gather in order to hear the word preached. We gather in order to sing the word together, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we also gather to see the word proclaimed in baptism and uh, the Lord's Supper. You see, our building, honestly, is just us giving thought to how we gather. Because listen, we want to gather in a place in which is accessible to the city in which we serve. We want a place in which is easy to get to. We also want a place that's hopefully attractive because everything that we do, including our locations, say a bit about the God that we serve. But we also want to do this at a reasonable cost so that a cost of a building doesn't hamstring our ability to do mercy ministry and to do outreach. And so all that to say, we are excited and I am happy and just thankful that you guys are willing to make the journey here in order to gather to do church because this is important. So thank you guys for being here tonight. But I also want to say, it is what, May 12th? Happy Mother's Day. And man, first I want to shout out all the mothers, biological and adoptive, who are doing the work right now of raising your children. And I know a lot of the work that you are doing right now is thankless work, but I do want to say thank you, and I want to encourage you with this fact, that there's a God in heaven who sees your work. There's a God in heaven who sees every single tear that you cry, every single frustration that you feel, every single joy that you have. He sees it, he sees your faithfulness, and he'll reward you. But then I also want to address uh, the kinds of people in which Mother's Day seems to exclude. And I want to address right now uh, the people who maybe want a family like that, but for whatever reason, you can't have that. Maybe the spouse hasn't come along yet, or maybe you're trying to have kids and you simply can't at this moment. It's not happening. Or even a mother that has experienced loss today. I want to tell you today that God sees you too. I want to say today that he sees you right where you are. He sees every tear that you cry, every, every, every tear, every moment of frustration, and he sees you and he cares. And honestly, today, I want to stay on this theme, that Jesus cares. Jesus cares. We all need to hear that. And so I want you to turn to John 19. We're going to be in three verses today. And typically on Mother's Day, typically when you go to church, you'll hear a sermon that's addressing just the mothers in the church. And there's nothing wrong with that, but tonight isn't going to be that sermon. Tonight we're going to address everyone in here with the theme uh, that Jesus cares. And that's our hope. Because here's the thing, John 19, John, uh, Jesus is actually having a short conversation with his mother. And in this conversation, Jesus demonstrates his ability and zeal to care for each and every single one of us. And so I'm gonna go ahead and read John 19, and I'm gonna read verses 25 through 27. And so let's go ahead and go. Here it is. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Let's pray together. And God, we ask you for your help tonight. We need your help to understand your word. 
We can't hope to understand this. We can't hope to apply this without the empowerment of your spirit. And so, Father, we pray that we will be students of your word tonight, that we will refuse to be distracted, that we will do whatever we can do in order to keep rapt attention on your word because you desire to speak to us tonight. So may we sit here asking ourselves, what are you telling me to do? And may we ask you to give us the strength to do that. And so I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So I don't know if I'm dating myself. Uh, I may be. I know there's a lot of, uh, there's some Gen Z in the crowd, but there was a show that's kind of on the border of my, uh, of, 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 I'm a millennial. I'm on the border of that. And there's a show that like almost missed me. So you might not even know this show, but the show is titled Cheers. Now, anybody older than me, you're thinking, wait, nobody here knows the, knows the show Cheers? But let me tell you a bit about the show Cheers. Uh, Cheers was uh, pretty much the setting of Cheers was in a bar in Massachusetts, Massachusetts. That's a hard word to say. And there's a lyric in the theme song that pretty much describes what the show is about. And that lyric is uh, describing the bar, and it says, where everybody knows your name. And the reason why that show was one of the most uh, successful shows um, in television history is because that show hit on a primal need. Every single one of us wants to be in a place in which everyone knows our name. Every single one of us, no matter if you are independent, no matter if you are strong, every single one of us wants to be in a place where people know us and people care about us. And that really is the picture of that show, Cheers. But I want to give you another picture. There was an author named Ralph Ellison. He wrote a book called The Invisible Man, and that book actually gives the opposite picture. If you've ever read that book, in that book we find a character making his way through life, and you realize when you get to the end of the novel that you never actually learn his name. And that was intentional uh, by uh, the author. The man didn't have a name because because, uh, people really didn't see him. I don't mean that people didn't see him physically. This book was written in 1952. It chronicled uh, a black man walking through life, and his lack of name is meant to show the lack of concern and care that the world around him had for him. He didn't have a name. And the reason why I share those two pictures side by side is this. There are times in each of our lives when life feels less like cheers and more like the invisible man. There are times in which we're going through maybe difficult circumstances and we're not in a good place emotionally and you wonder, am I invisible? Does anyone see me? Does anyone want to help me out in the things that I'm going through? I feel nameless. You might be a parent having a hard time and all you see around you is smiling parents and kids who are well behaved and you're thinking, I feel nameless. Does anyone know what I'm going through right now? You might be struggling with loneliness right now, and you have all these people around you in Arlington, such a densely populated city, and yet no one to talk to. You might feel lonely in your singleness. You might feel lonely in your marriage. You might feel lonely in your friendships because all of your friendships seem so superficial and so surface level, and you're thinking, does anyone see me? Does anyone care about me? And in a room this size, I know that there are people in this room who feel that way tonight. And even along with that question, even as followers of Jesus Christ, what can be easy for us to do is to put that question on Jesus. We can begin to ask, does Jesus care about me? Does he see what I'm going through right now? 
And this leads us to John 19. You see, John 19 is a passage. If you know your Bible, John 19 records the crucifixion and death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is hanging on a Roman cross, and while he's doing this, it's incredible. While he's hanging on the cross, he speaks to his mother. He's making sure that she's okay. And in this short interaction, we, I believe that we see at least three things that will encourage us today about the care that our Lord Jesus Christ has for his people. And so my prayer tonight, man, as you hear the sermon, is that you don't walk away just knowing the truth that Jesus cares about me, but I pray that you will know this truth deep down in your bones, that whatever you are going through, hear me today, Jesus cares about you. He cares about you. I pray that this truth will fill your soul. I pray that you'll experience the care of, uh, of Jesus through this community called the church. And so really quickly tonight, here are, some, here are three simple and I think yet beautiful things that I want to say about the care of Jesus from John 19. Listen to me today. Jesus knows your name. Here's the first thing I want to give you today. Jesus has the capacity to care for you right now. Jesus has the capacity to care for you right now. Why do I say that in this text? Because in this text, we actually see a couple of pictures. I want to actually backtrack. If you have John 19 open, I want to go back with a couple of verses to verse 23. If you look up to verse 23, it's talking about the soldiers who were crucifying Jesus. It says this. I'll read it really quickly. It says, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who it shall be. And this was to fulfill the the scripture when, when it says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did those things. So here's this picture of these soldiers, and think about this. In the face of all the incredible suffering around them, we see among the soldiers a concern for themselves. Think about it. There are people on the cross dying above them. There are people all around them in grief. And in that moment, all they cared about is how they could flip Jesus' clothing. Now, here's the thing. Like, I don't know their backstory, but I think I could read this text and use a bit of sanctified imagination But listen, maybe this was a regular practice to see what they can get off of those people who are being crucified. Maybe these soldiers were thinking, man, I see grief every day. I see crucified people all the time. I have mouths to feed at home. I can't worry about all the cares and grief around me. I'm just worried about how to feed my family. Maybe in that moment, they simply did not feel as if they had the capacity to care for all the crying of people around them. They were just trying to make it themselves. Maybe they've been jaded to things like death and grief. Maybe they simply didn't have the capacity to care. And I, and I revealed that picture today because I, I think we can find a bit of commonality in that because all of us have a limited capacity to care. I don't know if you ever felt this before. I think about when I get home from the grocery store, man. If I was a huge Pops guy and I had amazing forethought, I would have bags of groceries up here. Because when I get home from the grocery store, here's the name of the game. I know many of you guys feel the way that I do. I'm trying to get in the house with the groceries on one trip. 
doesn't matter how many groceries I got. It doesn't matter how uh, hard it is to get in the house. I'm trying to make it on one trip. But often what happens is I can't make it. Often there are times in which I am trying to walk with all of these bags. And when I walk over these bags, I have to make an executive decision. I can't walk on. I have to make a decision. What can I drop? I can't drop the eggs, man. They're going to bust. I can't drop the milk, frozen pizza. I'll drop that. I'll come back outside. I'll pick it up. I know many of you guys are, are like me, but I want to take that analogy and I want to bring it to, our, to, to, to this understanding that all of us have a limited capacity to care. Think about this. We live in a world that's so global. Anytime you turn on the news, you experience uh, uh, headlines from all over the world. And when you turn on our news, most of it is heavy. <laughs> most of it is hard news. And not only that, you have people that are close to you who are going through it as well. You got breakups all around you. You have work issues and grief and loss. It's a lot. And you quickly realize in the midst of all these cares that you can't carry all of these. Not only that, you have your own needs that you're worried about. You have your own cares about it. And you're, and you're like me trying to carry all of these grocery bags. You're thinking, how, am I, how, am I, how, do, I, how do I care about the COVID crisis around the world? How do I care about what's happening in India and set trafficking around the world and the food crisis and my friends' issues and my family members that aren't doing well and my own personal needs? How do I care about all of this? You start to experience compassion fatigue. You start making decisions to drop stuff. But then even in that, you also realize that other people are limited too. And you begin to think, and I know I've thought this, man, if I'm limited in my care for other people, I know other people, they're limited in their care for other people. And if they have all these things that they are worried about, why should I expect them to care about little old me? And listen, it's easy to think about this. It's easy to think this way about Jesus as well. And we question his capacity to care for us. And we think, man, Jesus has so many things that he's trying to worry about. Like, he's sustaining the world right now. He cares about the Great Commissions, Commission going to the four corners of the globe. He has all of these concerns. Why should I think that he cares about the things that I care about right now? But I want to show you this picture really quickly in verses 25 through 27. And it shows us that he certainly cares about you. Check this out. Listen to me. I want you all to listen to me. Jesus is hanging on the cross, experiencing the greatest suffering that the world has ever known in verse 25. They're, these people are by the cross looking at him, experiencing all this suffering. Not only is he experiencing physical suffering, he's experiencing the weight of all the sin of the world, the condemnation, condemnation, the weight and the shame of the sin of all humanity. He's going through deep suffering right now. And look at verse 26. It says in verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Catch this. He's bearing the sin of all humanity. If anyone has his hands full, it's Jesus in the moment. And still in that moment, he has the capacity to care for his mother's needs. He's bearing the sin of the entire world and still has the capacity to care and here's the thing, I want you to get the thrust of this today. Jesus' capacity to care is more than your capacity to have burdens. 
Jesus' capacity to care is more than your capacity to have burdens. Listen to me. You, we may feel limited in our ability and capacities to care for each other, but our Savior, Jesus Christ, isn't limited. Jesus is bearing the sins of the world and still has the capacity to care for his mother. His capacity to care is endless. He has room to care for you. You know what that means? He's not too busy. He doesn't have better things to do. Jesus doesn't have compassion fatigue. You see, that thing today that causes your eyes to well with tears because you're thinking, this matters to me. It doesn't matter to anybody else. It matters to me. Guess what today? It matters to Jesus as well. It matters to him. And here's the thing. You, you might look at me right now, and I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, hold on, Eric. How is Jesus' care for his mother an indication that he cares for me? That's his mother. Like, I'm a random person. That, that, that's his mom. I'm glad you asked. Here's the answer. Jesus thought about family differently than we do. Let me give you an example. Go to, if you have a Bible, you don't have to turn here. I'll read it for you, but Matthew 12. Matthew 12, Jesus is busy doing ministry. He's out here healing people, preaching the message of the kingdom. He's doing all of this, and his mother and his brothers show up to see him. Now, this test doesn't show us, but there are clues throughout the whole Bible that when his mother and brothers show up, they're concerned about him. They possibly want him to, to, to keep more of a low profile, to not get out here and, and keep preaching and, and be on the radar of the authorities. They didn't understand his ministry. And Jesus is in there teaching, and somebody rolls up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, listen, your mom and your brothers, they're outside. They want to talk to you. And Jesus says this in Matthew 12. Check this out. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And mother. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He says that the same level of care that his mothers and brothers get is available to anybody who follows him. And what that means is right now, here's the thing. When you think about that kind of care, listen, even right now, Jesus is in a better position to give it. Jesus cares for his mother from a cross and when she's bearing the sins of the world. How much more is Jesus able to care for us now that he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God forever seated high? He cares for you. And this is good news for you today because I want you to think about this. What's the thing that causes you to wonder, does anybody care? I don't care how small it is. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how many your cares are. I don't care how few your cares are. Jesus Christ sits exalted. And guess what? He has the capacity to care for you. He's not too busy. He does. He gladly cares. Let me give you my second point tonight. Not only does Jesus have the capacity to care for you, here's my second point. Jesus also has the wisdom to care for you. He has the wisdom to care for you. He knows how to care for you. And this is why I want to say this today, because, because of this. Jesus' capacity to care for our needs doesn't always mean that he'll meet our needs the way that we want him to meet our needs but he's still caring. He has wisdom to care exactly how you need it. And at this point, man, I want you to think about all this from Mary's point of view. 
Think about the grief that Mary is experiencing. She's standing at the cross. It says that in verse 25. She's clearly in grief. She's watching the one that she had birthed and nursed and raised and taught, being in her mind executed by the state. And there were so many times in the past where Jesus talked about himself dying and resurrection, but resurrecting from the dead, but nobody seemed to have categories for that in the moment, including his mother. She clearly thought in that moment that on that cross, very soon that Jesus would be forever dead and the movement would be forever over. And she's grieving the death of her son. And I can imagine that all she wanted in that moment of grief was for her son to live. And in that moment, Jesus was giving her exactly the care that she needed in a much better way than she could imagine. Because she didn't get her wish that day, Jesus died. But that was three days later when Jesus rose again, living again, having new life. And rising again from the dead, that meant eternal life and eternal joy for, ev- for everyone, including his mother. And I love this. Man, and when I think about this, I just want to drive this home with an analogy. Man, I remember one time when I was younger, uh, I got a basketball hoop for my birthday. Man, and that was great. I'm not birthday, I'm sorry, I got it for Christmas. It was great. But we actually never got around to putting it in the ground for a while. See, my dad was busy, and it wasn't one of those ones that you just roll out. It was one of the ones that you had to set in concrete. So it was months that went by, man. It was like April or May, and then we were like, man, where are we going to play on this hoop? And so I remember asking my dad, I said, Dad, listen, by this date, I forgot the date. It was sometime in the spring. Dad, can we have the hoop set up because we have relatives coming from out of town. I want to hoop with them. would love for it to be set up. And my dad said that he'll make it happen. But I remember this clear as day. There was two nights, two days before my relatives were about to get there. And I remember it was like 8 o'clock. It was dark outside, man, and I'm mad. I didn't want to tell my dad I was mad because, I mean, he probably would have knocked me out. But I'm thinking, like, in that moment, man, my dad does not care about me. It's dark outside right now. Concrete needs, like, 48 hours to set. I knew that because my dad worked construction. I worked along with him. It's not going to be set up in time. I'm mad. But apparently my dad had a flair for the dramatic because when I went to sleep that night, I woke up the next morning and the hoop was up. Like in the night, he had gotten up, got his tools, got his stuff, set the concrete, did all that, set up the basketball hoop. And I was so frustrated the night before because I thought two things. One, that my dad couldn't work in the dark. And two, that he didn't care about what I wanted. And it turned out when I woke up the next morning that neither one of those things were true. Like my dad could actually work in the dark. And the reason why I said that today, because I want to remind you today that you actually have a savior that can work in the dark. Now, I love it here in the darkness of Mary's moment. And probably one of the darkest periods of her life, Jesus was working. He was caring. And hear me today, in the darkness of your moments, even now, you have a savior that is working and that is caring for you. Listen, on the cross, Jesus cared for Mary in a better way than Mary could imagine. All she wanted was Jesus Jesus to live. And on the cross, three days later, Jesus did rise. He does live forever. He lives now. He did it in a way that provided salvation to the entire world. And let me bring this back to you today. On the cross, Jesus also shows you that he cares for you better than you can ever imagine. And let me explain this for people in this room who are here and maybe exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
When I say the word gospel, the gospel means good news. And the gospel declares a simple fact that the God above made you. And he made you out of a heart in which he cared for you and he made you out of love. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. God made each of us and instead of loving him back, And instead of caring for him, what we did is we did the opposite. Instead of responding to a loving and caring God in obedience, we decided that God's commands weren't out of his love and care. It was because he was holding out of us. So all of us, each each and every single one of us has turned away from God and treated God as if he's not loving, as if he's not caring. We disobeyed God. The Bible calls that sin. And because God is just and holy, we deserve his wrath for all eternity. That's not good news, that's bad news, but here's the good news. God didn't give up on us. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Jesus lived the perfect life, the life that we could not live. And he died a death on the cross in our place, taking our sin, all of us, upon himself, dying. He rose again three days later, proving that he is more powerful than sin and death and the grave. Now, if anyone, if you don't know Jesus, if you come to him with your sin, if you come to him trusting Jesus as Lord, asking for forgiveness, guess what? You are forgiven and you can be placed in the context of being a cared for son and daughter of the living God. This is good news. And it declares to us this, in the gospel, God proves that he is able and willing to provide for our deepest needs and concern. We needed forgiveness and he provided that. And if that's the case, if God has provided for the, at the point of your deepest need and your deepest concern, listen to me today, God can care for anything that fills your heart, that fills your heart with anxiety tonight. Here's the thing, if you're ever in a moment when the moment feels dark and you're wondering what is God doing? Is he working? Does he care about me? God has given us the cross as a visible reminder that when we can't make out his caring hand in the moment, we can look back and see that he certainly cares for us. He's not holding out on you. Not only does Jesus, is Jesus wise enough to care for us, not not only does Jesus have the capacity to care for us, I wanna go home on this last point. Jesus also has the means to care for us. He has the means to care for us right now. Man, I love this part on Mother's Day. Look at it specifically how Jesus cares for his mother. And we see this in verses 26 and 27. Let me read it. It says this. It says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. That's an amazing amazing text of scripture because it shows us something about how our Savior provides care for us. Like, look at this text. I want you to think about it. If you know Jesus' life on this earth, you know that he had brothers. He had family. He had a, a nuclear family, a family that was biologically closer to his mother than John was. And for whatever reason, the text doesn't show, tell us He doesn't tell his brothers to take care of his mother. It's interesting here. He tells John, the person doesn't have any biological blood relation to his mother, to care for her. We don't know the reason for this, but the fact that there is a new relationship between John and Mary, it shows us one of the ways that Jesus provides care for us right now. Listen, 
Jesus is providing care for each of us. He's providing a family in a way that transcends biology. He's providing a family in a way that transcends biology. Let me show you really quickly. If you have a Bible, I'm going to flip really quickly to Luke 18. I'm going to show you this text. So Luke 18, there's a passage about the rich, rich, uh, the rich uh, man uh, where Jesus just straight up tells him, hey, listen, you need to sell everything and give it to the poor, and then you follow me. And then Peter looks up at this guy, at Jesus. He's like, yo, hold on, time out. Hold on. We've already left everything to follow you, Jesus. Like, what do we get? And Jesus says this line that's going to help us get this in verse 29 in Luke 18. Jesus said to them, he said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who would not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Here's the question. Keep your eyes on that verse. How does a person who's left behind wives and brothers and parents and children, how do they receive many times more in this time? Jesus isn't talking about heaven. He he says in verse 30, uh, who will not receive many times more in this time. He's talking about this life. How does someone receive brothers and sisters and mothers in this life that they don't currently have? And I think Jesus is clearly saying this to comfort Peter and the disciples. So he's clearly referring to real people. So how does one get more brothers and more parents and more children in this life? Peter is straight up saying, he says, I left everything behind to follow you. I've left my circle of care behind. Who will care for me? Who will know my name? And here Jesus is saying, I've given you a bigger family. In this text, he said, listen, I've enlarged your circle of care. I've given you a family called the church. And this is why what Jesus does in John 19 is so beautiful. Because he takes two people that aren't, bio, that aren't biologically blood related, and he tells them to be a tight-knit family that's not united by biological blood, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. He's trying to help us to understand that this passage, and in this passage, Jesus is helping us to see that the family is not simply a metaphor for the church. The church is not like a family. The church is a family. It is a family. And we're called to care for one another. And even as we close and G comes back out, I want you to feel encouragement and responsibility from that thought that the church is a family. Because today on this Mother's Day, I know there are a lot of people right now that are hurting because their nuclear family is not the kind of family that they idealized. For many of you, you're coming from a situation in which you don't have a great relationship with your mother or your parents for that matter. Talk to many of you, so many of you, you're in a time right now where you're trying to pursue this kind of nuclear family with a husband and with, with kids. And right now, for whatever reason, that is not happening. It's not taking the shape that you imagined. But here's the thing, in the absence of a nuclear family, God has instituted his church to declare, listen to me, that you are not alone. You are not alone today. And here's my prayer for you, NBC Arlington and the Broadham McLean Bible Church, that you will experience the care of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children within the body of Christ. And today, I want to flip it. For many of us, we have nuclear families. 
We have the husband or the wife or we have the kids. And in this body, we're so grateful for families here. However, listen to me today. It may sound like a weird statement on Mother's Day, but we can very easily idealize the nuclear family. We can very easily, if we're not careful, we can think that the only place that we'll receive real care in this life is from the wife and the husband and the kids. However, in Christ, let me tell you today, if you have a nuclear family, Jesus has never meant your nuclear family to be self-contained and self-sufficient. What do I mean by that? Listen, if you have a nuclear family, you should be constantly asking yourself, how am I weaving in the broader body of Christ into the life of my family? Your family needs to know that the circle of care is bigger than the walls of your house. Who are we inviting in? Because I believe this, that if we are going to be the body of Christ, that we need to be doing this. And hear me loud and clear. There are going to be always people in the body of Christ that's going to be more alone than other people. I think about single people who don't have a roommate versus like a married couple or versus a married couple with kids. Man, I'm in a stage of life where I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. I can't even do that. Some people are going to be more alone than other people. That's not the problem. However, there should not be lonely people in the body of Christ. There may be people who are more alone, but they should not be lonely people in the body of Christ. So here's the thing. If you don't currently have a nuclear family that, uh, uh, that you could depend on in the city, here's one question that you should ask. How am I giving myself to the people around me as family? And that includes the nuclear families of the church. We are a people intricately connected. We need to be a people who are spending life with one another. Our lives, our relationship status, our families are meant to be leveraged for the love and care of the body of Christ and from there to the entire world. Man, this is beautiful. This is what the world is craving to see. And as I close, man, I just want to say why this is so hard. Because we live in the West. And the drift of our society is that we are, we, if we're not careful, we're going to be individualistic and consumeristic like the rest of the entire world. So we're individualistic. We constantly are asking ourselves whenever we show up somewhere, what am I getting out of this? And that's even the case with church. Many of us show up here and we're thinking, man, if I'm not getting what I need out of church and what I feel I should be getting out of church, we just go off and we find another church. But listen, when we realize this picture of family that Jesus is calling us to, we begin to realize that God is calling us to ask a different question. He's not calling us to come to the church and ask, what can I get from people? He's calling us to ask, how can I be of service and love others uh, where I am so that I could be a part of this family that transcends biology? Y'all, we need each other. The church is God's means to care for one another. It's one of his means. We are family. And this, is one of the, this is one of the means to church that God gives to express his loving care. Are you aware of the needs around you? Let's live like this. Here's the thing. I'm going to go ahead and shut it down right now. Let's go ahead and pray. And then right after this, I want us to uh, take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you. 
Man, I'm just thankful today for the fact that it truly is the case that you care for us. And there's so many people in this room that are weighed down by the burdens that they are bearing. And you said in your word, and you meant it when you said this, you said, cast our burdens on you because you care for us. You didn't tell us to measure our burdens to see if they're big enough. You didn't ask us how many burdens that we have before we cast it, before we cast them on you. You said simply to cast them. So, Father, I pray that you would fill us with the awareness that you truly do care. And I pray that the awareness that you care for us will radically transform the way, that, the way that we experience life right now. And I pray that the way that you care for us as followers of you and imitators of Jesus and in our limited capacities, that we would strive to care for one another with the strength that you have given us. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to be the kind of family, the church in which the world, the world peers into this family that transcends blood. And they will say, I've never seen people who aren't related care for each other in this type of way. And we can declare the unifying power of the gospel as a result. Father, help us. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.